This is John. This is Blix. This is Trav. This is Jay. This is Paul. And this is Richard. Welcome to the TriTac Podcast. Yay! The 200th TriTac Podcast. 200! Wow. We are excited about that. So excited that we totally didn't bother to tell you that we're also in our fourth year. Yay! Did not want to take any excitement away from the fact that this is our 200th podcast. We've done a lot of creative uh, numbering with our podcast over time, so pay no attention to that. This is our official 200th episode, and for that special episode, we have Richard Taholka, the man behind the magic, here on our podcast to tell us the future of TriTac, I guess. He says he has much, much, much to tell us. Welcome again, Richard. What was the last time you were on, Richard? Um, I think there were dinosaurs. Oh, okay. Got something that- else for you. If you look at the fringe paths, they're a helix that goes up and down. There is an end to each end. The end then comes back, and each end meets at the T-prime. If you go far enough along the fringe paths, you'll get to T-prime. You'll get to the T-prime, then from the T-prime, you get to the other end of the French Paths. Okay. The T-prime is exactly across from Earth. It's dead center. That says something about Earth being kind of a negative, kind of a, a the furthest point away from T-prime you could get on the French Path system. And we, we've hinted to that before. Yes. Hmm. Okay. Let me ask you this, Rich. The Tremellan train, if I was on that thing and I just cranked it all the way to the end and let it go and went and went to sleep, hung out, played cards, ate food, whatever, and just let that thing run, would it automatically stop at T-Prime? About 30 to 60 days later, it will stop <laughs> at T-Prime. Ah, now that's something that we probably shouldn't air. <laughs> now, um, okay, how fast is this thing going across uh, platforms? It's not going across the platforms. One group that actually found one and operated it, a control handle came up. They flipped the control handle, and they could see the flashes of each platform going by, one, two, three, very slowly. Then when they, they fl- maxed it out, the second handle came up. Then when they maxed that one out, another one came up. 
Yeah, as I said, that's a trap, not not a transportation device. No, it's a trap for idiots. <laughs> so basically, when you hit the third one, you're doing hyper travel. If you're going with the first handle, and you're going from station, basically station area to station area, probably 100 or 200 portals. The second handle would be thousands of portals. And the final one would be a hyper jump. John, it's a trap for people, candidates for the Darwin Award. Huh. So does it have fine control about which portal you get to? And how could you tell from inside? I guess you'd just have to be able to count them. Aha. So once you're on it, if you don't keep careful track when you start, you're lost. That's true. Yes. That is true. You have to be able to read Tremel and see what's going up or down. Mm. Okay. Basically, you have to read the instruction, man. And that brings us to another question. We made all the problem portals fringe portal functions. You went through the portal and you found yourself stuck in some way. We turned them into actually features. And one of those things was the ghost mode where you could go through in a kind of a ghostly form where you had no material existence, but you were moving around as an entity and you couldn't be harmed in any way other than if they had some kind of uh, telepathy or, or some kind of psionic powers to affect you. Bruce, you're, you're talking about ghost transfers. Yeah, I'm talking about ghost transfers. So if you have a Tamelern translator bead, or any of the Tamelern devices that are listed that affect communication, do they still operate if you are in ghost mode? Yes. So, in fact, is you, you actually have functioning stuff going on. Because uh, we were under the understanding that no matter how long you were in ghost mode, you didn't suffer any hunger or thirst or anything. You were just, you know, there. And... Uh, so it implied that there were processes that weren't in operation. But apparently any equipment that you're carrying is still working, right? Any Tremelorin equipment. Any Tremelorin equipment. Okay. If you're going to pick up your, your M16 that's uh, you're strapped over your shoulder and shoot it in that forum, you're not going to do anything. Hey, what about hey, the automatic, what about the automatic, um, what about the automatic, what about language, the automatic gift? language gift? The what about language? it? The, either the physical translator or the portal translation will work for you. Okay. They had the translator bead, and they were trying to find out whether or not when they went through, whether they were going to be able to understand anybody because, you know, in ghost mode, did it actually still operate? And Richard says it does, and I said also it did. But I just wanted to confirm that. As a matter of play, they were asking, was it possible to have more than one mode going? And I said it was not possible to have more than one mode going. The question was, you send somebody through with the like time delay, so they're not going to be able to come back for 20 days, let's say. And then you turn around and you turn on the ghost mode for some the next people to go through. All right, does that somehow invalidate the first set, the people who went through and couldn't come back for 20 days, are, there, are they still not able to come back for 20 days because now you have it set to ghost mode? Yes. Yes what? What was set is set. Whatever settings are when you go through, they still apply no matter how they've been changed? We, we never exactly specified on the ghost mode that 
don't forget it doesn't always work right. Don't get hung up on the ghost mode. I mean, it could be any of the other ones. It could be the safe platform area. It could be the, the one where it raises it up, uh, the portal up off the ground on the other side. I mean, I'm saying whatever setting that you put the fringe portal to, if you go through, that still rema- whatever effect it has on you as far as being able to come back or time delay or snatching you back after a certain amount of time, even if you change it to another mode, that's still going to happen to you is what you're saying, correct? Yes. Okay. That's good to know. The mode sticks with the traveler. I had a portals question. Richard, can you use the portals to bypass platforms? So if I'm a Termelon engineer, I can reset the 50-foot ring to move me five five rings further down instead of one? Actually, no. Uh, actually, yes. <laughs> <laughs> now, no, hang on. Now, there's, there's, there's a few more features there that, you know, okay, I don't know if, if Bruce has ever talked about this. If you can rotate the platform, if you wanted to, you could take a world that was on the Earth Prime platform. Are you turning the platform like a train turntable? Yes. Like they used to turn old locomotives? Yes. Oh, wow. Hmm. You can rotate the whole platform and change the destination of the rings. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. All the pirates are going to have a heyday. It is not easy to do. You need to do something very special to do it. You pretty much need a Tremelorn engineer. Okay, so if you can rotate it, you can also turn it on edge. Um, on edge? What? I'm saying you can rotate it on its edge. That way it only lines up with two portals. Okay, you can't rotate it on its edge. It only basically rotates. saying you could rotate it on its edge... And then it would only line up with the paths, and it would deny you access to Prime and the system. It would be the ultimate lock, because the, it didn't access the doors any longer. That's a nice question. The, the thought on it, yes, if it worked that way. But it does, it clicks over. Mm-hmm. You can't partially lock something. You could cut a Prime out of the network without, you know, destroying it. You could just simply turn... You could turn the prime into an alternate. I told you guys that could happen, and you said no. Way back when I was writing in questions, you said no. Could you swap in a prime and an alternate? Ha! <laughs> I was wondering if a pro- if if a Terrellan tech or a Commonwealth tech could swap the prime with the alternates and make the prime become an alternate. Okay, Paul, when we had this discussion, okay, you do realize that if you were to do such a thing, you would be affecting not just the Prime, but also the system and all the star platforms simultaneously, right? Absolutely. It's not just a simple change when you're doing that. My thinking there is you're swapping one destination on the alternate for the Prime. So seven portals on that Prime become nothing, and it becomes an alternate, and an p- alternate suddenly gets seven more portals. If you did make a prime, a alternate, do the r- other ring stations, the other said ring stations, go away? They don't go away. They simply stop functioning. Is there still a black portal, or is it now just an open ring? Everything is still there, but it's rotated. You don't have access to it. Okay. The, the French path doesn't create worlds. 
but it creates an access to them. So even if you cut some world off, it's not like you're destroying it or making it disappear. You're just removing your access to it. That's why I think that the swap is just that easy. So you could just suddenly say, you know what? This has been a problem as a prime. Let's take away all those doors and just give them one. You're not taking away seven doors. You're taking away the uh, seven doors on the prime, uh, the eight doors on the system, and the uh, 64 doors on the on the star platform. I understand that. I'm saying you're not destroying worlds, though. No. I am still uh, stuck on how does the fringeworthy system know what's a prime and what's an alt? The whole system is an AI. Part of the problem... Right. What the 1599 incident is, if you want to reprogram it or do an update, you have to start at a certain point, and then basically it spreads out. Uh-huh. That doesn't really address the question of how the system itself knows what's a prime and what's an alt. It's really a decision. Right. You simply choose a particular universe to be the prime, and other ones that are not chosen become alts. Is it possible to take an alt and make it a prime in a new node? No. Why not? Because each set of the worlds is specific to that platform. You can't move the worlds farther down or back and forth. You can't reorder the systems, what you're saying, Richard. Right. Well, when, when they set it up, they ordered it exactly the way they needed to. The farther you get from Earth, if you get 5,000 platforms down... You'll, you begin to notice that there's less and less inhabited worlds, less and less Earth. You know, by 20,000 platforms down, there's far less resources the same way until you get way down either direction, and there's almost nothing. So you mean the worlds are basically either they're just blasted worlds, like the, the, or they're just re- used up all the resources? There's almost no resources. The atmospheres are mostly toxic. So the farther you go, if you after you go 50,000 worlds in either direction, you're not getting a lot of anything other than ro- rocks, minerals. So it's based on the probability of Earth being inhabitable. And the further you go away from the core probability, the less habitable you're likely to find it. It's, and your natural that, laws begin to skew off a little bit. And when you start to skew off natural laws, you get really horrible results. So why does it go back into a Tremelin-friendly zone? At the very end, that's where they started. But there was other Tremelin worlds they found that we, you know, that we know of. We, 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 we more or less realized Schmert was not a T-Primer. He's a T-Alt. Yeah. The, T, the T-Prime was basically the core of where they arranged the, cut, the worlds, the worlds they cut into, was straight across and in both directions. Is it an open-ended string, or is it a closed-ended loop? Both ends of the strings lead back to the Tremolan Prime. Okay, so we're talking a loop with T-Prime at 12 o'clock and Earth at 6 o'clock. When you get out to 9 o'clock or 3 o'clock, you're finding not much inhabitable. Is that right? About 4 o'clock and 8 o'clock. After that, most of it isn't, isn't... It's a desert. By humans... That sounds a bit like you like uh, the the paradigm levels, Richard. <laughs> oh, you brought in the paradigm. <laughs> I've never read paradigm. Ooh, I recommend it. It's fun. 
It, it's uh, by H. Beam Piper, his Paratime Stories. The different alternate worlds were arranged in layers. The farther you got away from home time, it was exact opposite. So you would have humans, humans, fewer humans. You would have Neanderthals, and then you basically have forests after a certain point. In the, and then further on that, you have empty vacuum worlds, where, or, 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 or like Richard's describing. Because that's the probability. It's the pro- basically the probability for human habitations in the center, and it gets less and less as it goes out, and habitation on the world itself gets less and less as far as you, you get out. It sounds like the T-primers are the wrong end of the, of the, of the probability curve when they, when they turn it on. I think Richard's presentation of it is much more imaginative than Piper's, but Piper put a lot of work into his world building. But that's what it sounds like, though, that the uh, Tremelon, when he turned on, the probability of habitable worlds was like, you know, nothing. And they just got better and better as they got farther out. So, well, I can, I can see how they did that is like when they started, because when they made the, they tried to do the hyperspace jump and found out they jumped dimensions. And then they once they start, they started doing fringe travel. I could see where they, you know, kind of jumped into it and messed up. And as they got better and better, they started finding more and more habitable worlds. I can see where they're going. It, it sounds like, in a certain way, that T prime and Earth are kind of mirror images of each other in some ways. Is that kind of a theme that's going on there, Richard? And don't forget how we portrayed the Tremelon. They they are the survivors of, of of a resource war. They nearly destroyed themselves and the, and the Earth. You can imagine that all these all these worlds where there's nothing but toxic gases and so forth. That's where they succeeded in destroying themselves and and their world. Richard actually said that as you get towards nine and three o'clock, you're changing the physical laws, and that has real bad effects on the ability of people to live there. They discovered fringe travel after they resolved the physical resource wars. The fringe paths, how they were constructed was a mathematical equation, right? These were made through a mathematical model. So perhaps something in the formula does that loop around, and as it gets out to the outer points at the at the east, if you're looking at a compass, say east and west end or the, the 3 o'clock and 9 o'clock end, you're getting into, say, the, the mathematical equations that are not conducive to human life. So there could be something to it in that aspect. Because it's not like they went out and built these worlds. They really, they discovered them. Think of it as like a sine wave. It, it may be that in order to get to Earth and, it, and the habitable worlds there, they had to link to a whole lot of unhabitable worlds in the interim. There are implications to it that Richard hasn't really discussed yet. Now, Richard, one thing, one thing was in the D20 book was that the T prime platform was the size of a small moon and it had lots of portals on it, including a lot of 50 footers. Is this, it basically is the earth, earth to melon loop. The only one, or are there other loops out there? That platform, that engineering platform, the T prime platform Mm-hmm. Is probably miles across, and what it is is Grand Central Station. So there are multiple loops then. But there's something else there too. That that'll be covered in four and five. Remember when I said there was a bigger system? Yeah. Oh yeah. The the big system. Dun, dun, uh, dun. We we've been joking about these for years about these six hundred foot portals. Oh, goodness. 
Paul's got a question about everyday Tamilan technology. Did they have living toothbrushes? <laughs> Are we going to see some more everyday Tamilan tech besides the dock boxes? Because you made the shift in the books from mechanical robotic systems to organic technology. So we're going to see, I mean, people have been asking on the forums for some new seeds, new ideas. Don't forget yeah, the Tamilan went in two different directions. They went mechanical and they went biological. Ah. I want that biological dock box to buy me dinner first. <laughs> oh, oh. So, Rich, you're saying that, that you could find stuff that was completely mechanical in nature with a Tamilan. They went, they went in both directions. Sure. Either that or there were alts that went one way or the other. What I'm going to need to do for a supplement is walk into a dollar store here and totally confound them as I write and go shelf by shelf. <laughs> well, wow. The way that I read it and the way I see it in D20 is that they did biotech and they climbed up the tech ladder until they hit a plateau. Then they used other physical sciences to sidestep that plateau. Then they went to biotech. To me, how I read in uh, Fringe of the D20, they preferred biotech. They used hard tech, using air quotes, to get around snafus. Yeah, and then they backfilled. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're dealing with ruins here, so we can't tell what was original core Tremelern tech and what was, say, an alt where the Tremelern went completely mechanical. We, we, because they, they mixed and matched once they were together in the system. After the big system went down, how are these Tremelern getting around planets? I mean, there's portals, but I haven't seen a car, an airplane, a blimp, so much as a parachute. So how are they getting around worlds? They needed something else to get between the world. William Wardrop, who right now is doing future design work for Mack Trucks, will be showing you what they did. We were also talking about moving around on a planet once they got there through the portal. What sort of things did the uh, Tremelern use as vehicles on these worlds? Do you mean the 8-foot portals? We're talking about the 25-foot portals. Do you mean yeah, the 8-foot uh, portals? <laughs> they had basically portable holes like a Ringo in Yellow Submarine. They'd just throw down a throw down a small portable portal and step through it and be somewhere else. Is that right? We were joking on that within about a uh, neighborhood portals, portals that would get you to larger metropolitan areas and then transportation mm -hmm. from those areas. Actually, if you listen to the uh, Gutter Skypes when they did the Fringeworthy, they introduced little portals, eight footers. Hey, this works. Why the heck use it here? You know, so it's totally independent design, though. But yeah, that makes that makes all makes sense. You know, you know, you don't have elevators; you have a portal. You get to different floors. Well, now we're thinking with portals. So portals always seem to be set down someplace. Has anybody seen that wonderful joke video from Volkswagen about the old couple and the flying car in China? No. Yeah. No. no. Looks like a floating wheel in the air. Basically, it's it's high tech, and the the old folks are traveling down to the store to get some stuff. Absolutely wonderful. Look up on uh, YouTube Volkswagen and uh, future uh, future or China or vehicle. And Jay, besides you know using technology, 
Tremelin's way of traveling around too on a planet could look like the cat bus from Totoro. You and that cat bus. You're obsessed with that cat bus. I don't want to change that litter box. <laughs> hey, but the cat but the but the cat bus makes perfect sense. I mean that, that's a Tremelin artifact. <laughs> I would be right there next to John, snuggling into a seat and letting the cat bus purr at me. And no, the horrifying implications of a cat the size of a bus would come later. A cat that can run on, that can also jump up and run along power lines without any problem. But, you know. That was magic. That was pure magic. No, it's levitation, but. The entire portal smells like ammonia. <laughs> Just, oh, God. Why are there scratches all over this portal? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who's that walking mound of hair? It's just me, take a bus. Totoro is not, is not a spirit. He's actually a Tremelon that basically got kind of fat. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So the bus stops. And they're like, why did it stop? It's like, and what is that noise? Like, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> the biggest hairball you've ever seen. I think there was yeah. a wonderful Clifford D. Simak story years and years and years, decades ago. They discover holes between dimensions. And they figure, what do you do with a hole? Was that the big backyard? For the next 50 or 60 years, humanity dumps its trash through these holes they open up. And finally, ah. the people on the other end get off and dump it all back. Nice. No, wait, I'm sorry. It's the big front yard by Simak. Yeah, I actually I actually was able to pick up the copy of Astounding Science Fiction that has a story in it. <laughs> oh, wow. It's got a wonderful Kelly Freeze cover. And uh, what happens is two natives on hover bikes show up. He trades them the concept of paint. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have to go ahead and check out at this point, gentlemen. Thank you very much for having me. Bye, Jay. Thanks for being head. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, We had a, a, uh, a topic, but at this point, um, we've been recording for an hour and 52 minutes, so perhaps we should talk about some other things, unless you think that we're going to be so, we're going to lose so much on the cut down that we can go ahead with our topic. No, you know what? There's so much good stuff here, Bruce. I think we got enough for, for an episode or two with all the goodies. We're putting the tap into Richard's brain and we're just, you know, milking it for everything we can. <laughs> Brains. <laughs> Brains. The Weird Zone. When I first heard of that, I thought, oh, this is a goofy concept, right? I thought it was just this goofy, weird concept. And then we did a show on it. And in talking about it, I realized... It's actually really, really cool. I really like that idea. I was just wondering, Rich, where did you get the idea for that? Um, where I get most of my ideas. I fall asleep, I wake up, and I begin to write them. No, no, it, it just it sounds goofy, like, initially, or at least it did to me. To me, it sounded like, ah, uh, yeah, right, okay, whatever, some goofy role-playing game. Then, you know, we talked about it, we started getting into it, and I was just like, you know what, this would actually be a really cool campaign. And then, John, you ran, uh, you or you're still running a, a Weird Zone campaign, and it turns out it's actually really, really cool. Yeah, it's some of my Sunny Skypers. Hopefully, we will get into those soon on the Sunny Skypers podcast, so they'll be coming out soon. Maybe next year, because it takes a while. We're still going through our Burning Beard uh, ser- stories. Basically, we were playing Burning Wheel. And ah, Burning we're Wheel. We're all and dwarfs. It. And we're all dwarfs. We're calling it Burning Beards. But, yeah. Okay. I think I can partially answer your question on that, too. Okay. On, uh, on Weird Zone. That 
it's an adventure game. You're you're heading out. You're basically it's Star Trek using your garage. <laughs> um, strange new worlds, and uh, but it's it's the the assembly of the idea that makes it work. You're hopping worlds is the reason, and we tried to cover everything possible. We actually ran the game more than a decade ago at a convention, and the people that played it absolutely were just nuts over it. They had no concept, and then it clicked, and it was absolutely great. I still remember that game. I think I still have a copy of the, of the beta version you created, or early version you created of it, where, where basically the cause was a certain now-dead dictator out in some South, North, North African state tried to fix... The Libyan, the Libyan sand sea, the the the, the sand sea portal, Rabina sand sea portal, and failed. That locked in the fringe worthy. When you see portals four and five, Weird Zone really locks in the fringe worthy. Oh, that's a nice scoop. But but that's you know I mean that's to our listeners who, you know who who have played the other games, who played Bureau Thirteen, played Incursion, played Fringe Worthy. You know, and, and those games are, you know, they've had their own books and have a big following and have, have, have you know, have had uh, their hardcore fans and stuff who would see something like Weird Zone and say, oh, yeah, it's one of Rich's one-off games or something. It really, I mean, like, don't put that aside. Zone is basically a big book without 100 pages with the rules. Exactly. Don't, don't. Don't set that aside as some like weird fluke or something because it it seems like a weird. It really is. It it really sounds like a very awesome thing. I mean, like Hardwired Hinterlands is another one. You know, that was another one where I I kind of didn't get it. And then we were doing uh, Gen Con last year, not this past one, but the year before, and uh, we were looking for adventures to run. And Bruce, I think it was Bruce that suggested me to do to do a Hardwired Hinterland. I was like. Well, I'm not really familiar with it. I'm not really comfortable with that thing, and you know, and it's like, but we've, you know, we had a bunch of Frenchworthy stuff, and we had Bureau Thirteen covered, and I was like, all right, you know what? I'll take a stab at it, and I came up with an adventure for it, and I was really surprised at how cool and fun a Hardwired Hinterland can be as well. So, those two games, I mean, I'll admit, I thought they were kind of goofy at first. But in creating something for them and in talking about them for the show, they turn out they're actually very, very cool. I'm currently running that campaign scenario that I suggested for the Hardwater Hinterland as my home campaign in Hardwater Hinterland here in Atlanta. We've been doing it every every week on Tuesday. Could you remind everyone what that scenario was? Your group of fledgling flying company, you know, as they were building their ship, their DC-30 out, out of the boneyard, uh, they come across this little bolt hole in there, and inside they find a body of, of a, an older man who died as a result of misadventure, and inside there's a journal. It turns out he's actually a fairly famous scientist, and he died, and he left this journal behind, and he was in the process of making something, and he put all these orders in and all these different environs, this piece and that piece, and not really very clear as to what they were supposed to do and, and how they were supposed to put, the, put together. And there was also an oddball, which is a, a robot with an eye and one arm that was floating around there that never goes any, any great distance away from uh, the journal. And they said, well, w- while we're making our money being a companies taking freight from Environ to Environ, why don't we stop and see what this stuff is? Maybe we can collect it all together and see what this professor was really trying to make. 
that might be something really cool. And that's what they're doing. Mm-hmm. When I was running, uh, it's, it's been on hiatus, but not for the Sony Skypers. Part of the mystery is who provided the pirates with a, crystal, a, lifting crystal, a lightning crystal the size of an ostrich egg. And why was it going to Sam Butcher Boy Blackwell? And what was he going to do with it? There's a certain project going on in in, uh, in almost Canada, and they need ostrich-sized crystals, and they're not getting them from Anson's Kingdom. There's only one other way to get them. <laughs> so anyway, that's, that was my thoughts on that one. Uh, still, I got I, I, I still got to finish up the editing in the last couple <laughs> games we did, but yeah, they they've been horrible. You think it's bad some of our our, our recordings, Bruce? We had one of my players basically kept going in and out. Uh, all the time, and so I'm, I'm trying to figure out where well, I just simply just cut out all this bit and just throw it away, or do I try to fix it? You could always try to normalize it, John. No, no, no. He dropped in and out. I mean, he basically he would, he would talk, and all of a sudden, and then he'd come back, and he had you know lost like ten seconds, and you know it's that's why we record our own sides, Sean. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah. <laughs> Because of that very problem. We saw that early on in this podcast. The last episode of doing the one with Tim Cask. Okay. There's times when you guys either talk over each other or somebody drops out and I'll just grab something from the, from the shared side of one of somebody else's track and plop it right in there. And it sounds just like it was always supposed to be there. Oh yeah. yeah. The worst thing that ever happened to me was I recorded my side and the other guy recorded his side. This was something I did for another project. And it turned out that my recording was corrupt. So I got his side, which was great. So what I did was is I had to listen to every response that he did, and I regenerated the questions. That is the most elaborate editing job I ever did. That sounds like a real pain. It was. It was a really good episode. That was, it was a comment episode, and I didn't want to lose it. But there was nothing I could do to recover my side. My side was lost. So I had to recreate it. Fortunately, I was interviewing him, so he was doing really all the talking. So all I had to do was regenerate the questions. And hopefully you actually had a physical copy of the questions you were using. I did not. I had to listen to his answers. (laughs) I had to listen to his answers and figure out what the question was. Maybe you should write down the questions next time. (laughs) Well, I I had a loose outline. All right. I'm kind of a hot dog like that. I know that. So it appears that our 200th episode is really pretty much everything TriTac. Of course, you knew that. But, I mean, what we're going to be doing in the future, hopefully in the very near future, because there's some things that have been semi-promised to appear in about a month or so. There's going to be a lot of stuff going further down the line. Apparently, if you want to know what uh, the future of Fringeworthy is, you better be picking up a copy of Portals 4 and Portals 5. And while you're at it, also buy a copy of Weird Zone and Hardwired Hinterland because it sounds like they're going to be showing up uh, in more than just guest starring roles in those upcoming publications. Well, hold on, one more thing, Bruce. I I want to say uh, a, a couple. I want to give a couple shout outs here. I want to say thanks to you guys for you know working with me for the last 200 episodes. Uh, you guys have been great co-hosts. This has been a, a labor of love, and I've, I've really, really enjoyed doing this podcast, and I look forward to doing it, I don't know, as, as long as we can do it. 
And I want to thank Rich for for providing such a rich environment for us to talk about, and for you know the the joy of the game for the I don't know since I've been. God, I don't even know when we got the copy of Fringeworthy, but I know it's been at least 20 years, I think, that we've been playing Fringeworthy or some version of it. I just want to say that that this has been a, a great experience, and I look forward to doing a lot more of it. Oh, yeah. I, I too, want to say thank you. you know, this has been a great 200 episodes. Well, it feels like it's longer, but, you know. It, it has been. It, it has been. <laughs> it has been. Uh, you guys have been great. I mean, you guys have been great to work with. And uh, and, and uh, folks we brought on, like Paul and Jay. Jay who's left. But, you know, great working with you guys. And Richard, yes, you know, thank you. You know, when I came in that one day in Oakland University and you brought me into your dungeon and you didn't kill my character the first time. That was great. Uh, <laughs> Unprecedented. Well, you know, it was his du- it was his dungeon where I think no one ever got past the 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 the, the time bagel because they would he'd go to the time bagel and just, just go and do go someplace else. He pushed the button to see where, see where we go until we had to until Richard made us break it. <laughs> well, I would like to say thank you all for the support and uh, you actually keep me going. You know, it's, I'm hopefully within the year I'm going to be retiring and then uh, I can probably write five times as fast. And do it in the daylight instead of night. <laughs> and well, no, I, I actually enjoy sitting quietly in my window and writing. But uh, <laughs> definitely, I, I need I need more time. To Florida or Arizona? Melanie and I had talked about somewhere uh, actually retiring out west, possibly uh, uh, Sedona or somewhere in that general vicinity. Well, if you get out to Sedona, you can say hi to my sister. She lives in Flagstaff. Or we'll come down to Atlanta and harass Bruce. There you go. You know, I also want to thought a, a big thank you to Trav and Paul. This podcast started out as me, Bruce, and John. It was our, our brainchild. Brains. Yeah. And then, you know, Trav joined us, and then and then Paul made the mistake of asking a bunch of questions and wound up joining <laughs> us. Yeah, and he still hasn't got caught up, apparently, because he keeps asking <laughs> questions we answered like 100 episodes ago. And I want to thank uh, you know Amber, who who used to be uh, a member of our show up until recently, but I'm hoping she'll join us again. And then, of course, to um, Jay, who Jay, yeah, he had to bail out, but you know, a big thanks to him too. He's been a great contributor. One more thank you, and this is a broad one. This goes to all of our guest hosts, you know, all the people who have come on our show because we've invited a lot of people to come on, you know, uh, Jay Libby and James Carpio and Ben Gerber and uh, Tim Cass, Jess Hartley, and uh, who am I missing? There's so many people. If, if, I, if I haven't listed your name, oh, Andre Krupa, but if, if, if we haven't mentioned your name, it's because there's so many, we just can't remember them all. I'd like to personally send out a thank you from all of us to, to you guys. Thanks for coming on our show and making it so entertaining. Yeah, um, it's funny with me and Jay, we started on episode 24, Mission Failure, and we're at 200 now. So I've been doing this now, as, as, as like Blick said, Jay and I and Paul are not charter members of this podcast, but each of us have made our own mark in it. And as I said, me and Jay, it's been three and a half years, and it's just been one heck of a ride. And I can't thank you guys enough for just making this where this is something where I, okay, Wednesday. It's this bi-weekly Wednesday night. I'm ready. Let's do this. And just thank you. That's all I, I, I can say. That 
and I would also like to especially thank Trav for helping me at the conventions and for the, the input he's given me that's actually got me going on a lot of different things with Bureau 13 and with Fringeworthy. You are welcome, sir. And hopefully we'll be doing the 300th podcast and we'll have even more people. And Bruce, especially also you. Yeah. You, you've kept this going. Oh, yeah, definitely. He's our chief cat herder. Oh, no, he's our guiding star. I'll give him that. Yeah. There is no podcast unless I edit it. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah, I gotta, you got to give Bruce. Bruce gets special credit, okay, of all of us. Bruce gets special credit because he, he does edit the vast majority of these. I mean, we, we take on one or two every now and then, but, but Bruce has been – the main editor for almost every, if you've heard an episode of this show, it probably was edited by Bruce. He's Razor IQs by 10 points by editing. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> and, and I mean, all of us, not just you guys. I'm not like, it's not a crack on you. I'm just saying, it's just amazing how good we sound when you get rid of all the ums, as, and talking over each other and all. We have this pizzazz that's just a, an amazing artifact of of us just, you know, putting our best ideas forward and getting rid of all the bad ones. <laughs> Unlike other podcasts, which pretty much record live, and what you get is what you get. Yeah, and, and sometimes they sound really bad. Well, you know, that's what happens. That's why there is editing. Right, Richard? That is, that is correct, Bruce. Yes. It's a lot of work to sound this good. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to get Robert Sadler on and have you guys talk about Moral Project from the early origins. You request on the Moral Project, Bob Sadler? Yeah, I'd love to give you guys on and maybe pull in Chris Garland. Bob is still a best friend, but the Moral Project is very, very touchy with Bob. Because of Nick Voss and Kevin? The third individual. We don't talk a lot about it. I've been working with him on little bits and pieces. We, we actually, and Bruce, you can publish this if you'd like that uh, we talked about the Parkman Chronicles, which was going to be the second moral book or the third moral book about TriTac actually just doing it as a sequel somewhere up the line from 417 and from Cloisters. I don't know yet. We've got a cover. It's beautiful. It's absolutely the first 25 pages are stunning, and we stopped dead in our tracks, and we, we were thinking about it for two years. Because there's really, you know, savage arguments on canon over to the, the encounter groups and Moro Project. So we really would love to pick your brains on the Krell and the the Rich Five and and what did the U.S. government actually know and why the snake eaters are there and some other parts of the game. Any indication, you'll notice the similarities in some of the TriTag products. Bob yeah. did the story. I built the world. And then uh, our third partner added the weapons. And you got to remember, there's some things that were put in by timeline after all three were no longer involved with the company. So th- they'll be hard-pressed to answer some of those questions. They didn't get the timeline. I got the timeline. You're welcome, to Paul, to ask any question you want or Richard. Just remember that it won't be canon because he has no rights over the property anymore. But you're welcome to hear what it should have been. Of course, we also need to discuss, discuss about the fact that a certain Morrow shows up in every book, every game, just about. Oh, yeah. It's an alternate Morrow. It's not the same Morrow, so it's fine. It's fine. 
Sometimes he spells his name Moreau. Sometimes he spells it Morrow. You know, he shows up in all the books. <laughs> <laughs> Just about. I wouldn't be surprised if he popped to your zero plot one of these days. Yeah. I've got a bunch of stories for you someday. Anyway, I hope you folks enjoyed the the the, the special opening I created for this. So, okay, <laughs> Richard, how do we get you on every couple of episodes? I would love to come back and do this, but unfortunately, after being owned by Brazilians, I have no way to know when I'm off. I'm never off on Wednesdays. Uh, I'm off on Thursdays occasionally. Is it better to be owned by Brazilians or by the Chinese? You hear dead silence and crickets, right? (laughs) Silence is deafening. It's a very large Brazilian company who has uh, bought up, opened up a lot of different uh, call centers. Uh, The jobs we do, we're called shared services, are going to be shipped to the Philippines very shortly. After 16 years, probably Obamacare and a new typewriter. Yeah. Well, never say you never got Brazilian then. Oh, jeez. Well, All right, guys, Richard, come on. Taos, New Mexico is pretty nice, too, if you want a lot of creative people. And you don't have to worry about having to mow your lawn. There's yeah. that. And you can have lunch with, uh, what's his name, Val Kilmer. Of course, I heard you know Phoenix right now is just on this side of becoming a desert again. The, the, the water tables are being tapped. So I don't know. Depends on what happens. Economically, I I see a lot of good things happening, and I see an awful lot of bad things happening. And the question is whether we're you know we're we're all coming through it intact or not. You know, I lived in Pontiac for most of my life in my house, which was had a base value of about one hundred and ten thousand dollars. Is now worth six. Oh. I'm over in a new neighborhood uh, with my wife. We've rebuilt the entire property. I built offices, you know, of uh, two offices, three libraries, and a mm. basket for the dachshund. If, if you didn't know it, my father was a security officer at Bikini. Oh. This is probably makes... where the imagination came from. Yep. Ah, mm. oh, Godzilla. <laughs> Take it easy. Thank you. And keep inviting me back, and I'll see what I can do. I've, I've got eventually to get some Thursdays off. Well, it'd be even better if you got Wednesdays off. That's when we record, Richard. Or Wednesdays off. Pardon me. <laughs> it's, it's just kind of weird being uh, doing a recording. I keep, think, I keep thinking it's Wednesday. Yeah, well, so do I. Yeah. <laughs> Those of you who are still with us, thank you for uh, your continued support, and we will be forging ahead with more and more topics about the different games of the TriTech Stable and also the Fringeworthy Advance Campaign and whatever else tickles our fancy. So if you'd like to be more involved with us, then go ahead and send us questions. Just remember, if you ask too many questions, we make you a show host. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game, hate the players. And this is Paul. When you remove the pin, Mr. Grenade is no longer your friend. This is Jay. Keep it simple. The players are going to complicate it for you. This is Amber. It's all fun and games until the DM rolls a one. This is Eric. It's all about having fun with friends. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. 
This is Richard Tahoka. Wait till you see what's coming next. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at Tri-Tech Games. And if you don't, we'll be after your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.